This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 65. And what we have in the last two chapters, 65, 66, okay, it is the last two chapters of Isaiah. Okay, so uh, well done, church, persevering through what is not a simple book. Uh, but the last two chapters essentially is Isaiah's answer, or rather God's answer to Isaiah's prayer that we saw in 63-64. So you might remember last week we saw uh, Isaiah teaching us, uh, praying, that model prayer in 63-64. And here, the last two chapters is God's answer. And you might remember that uh, Isaiah was essentially crying out to God, God, please don't hold back. How long will you, will you keep yourself from us? Please don't hold back. Please come and save us. And so here we have God's answer. Now, by listening to Isaiah's prayer, his, his, you know, pleading with God not to hold back for him to come, it reminded me of a song that some of you would know. Uh, the song that Beth Midler made famous. The one where she sings how God is watching us. God is watching us. And you know, it, it, it sounds so Christian. It sounds so spiritual. God is watching us from a distance. It's actually a horrible song. It's actually a horrible thought because, because if you're crying out to God, God, please come, please. Will you see, will you see the situation we're in? And then if the truth is God is watching, but he's watching from a distance, it's actually a horrible thought. But here we have the, the true and living God, and he is not watching from a distance. Here we, in Isaiah 65, we will hear what God's answer is. So please join me as we pray to him and ask him to help us as we consider his word. God, thank you so much that you are God who speaks, you are God who answers. So please help us now as we contemplate your word here in Isaiah 65, that we would hear your voice and that you will work in us to be your people who love you and who serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the way God answers is to a prayer that says, God, will you not hold yourself back? Will you please calm down? God's answer is actually, I will do more than that. I will do more than just calm down. I will transform the whole world such that not only will I just calm down, but I will be dwelling with you. My people and I, we will be dwelling together. So please, uh, we'll look at the second half of uh, 65 first, beginning from verse 17 where, quite clearly, God's answer, God's answer to the prayers of his people, to save, to come down, is more than that. He will actually, verse 17, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to my all that is causing such anguish and sorrow. The sin that causes so much heartache and suffering. God says all that will not be remembered 
anymore because he's going to create a new world. Now, I want to uh, draw your attention to the word uh, create. Okay, God is the one who will create just like he created the first creation, the one that we dwell in now, uh, that, you know, because of Adam's sin, okay, marked by the fall. The new creation, God will create, meaning that he doesn't need our help. In the same way he didn't need our help for the first creation, he doesn't need our help for the second. Uh, I say it this way because uh, there are some amongst the Christian church who feel so much their responsibility to be a steward of this creation that they think that they need to help God, you know, in bringing in the new creation. And so they take that reduce, recycle, you know, reuse thing a bit too far. You know, where they say creation care, caring for this uh, world that God has given us is actually a Christian's core responsibility. No, it is not. Yes, we should be, you know, responsible, faithful users of this earth, make sure our grandchildren, you know, have, uh, you know, clean air to breathe, etc., etc., but we will not help God bring in a new creation. It is God's work. He will create new heavens and a new earth. And this new heavens and a new earth will not be one that is totally different, there's no similarity to what we know and have here. Uh, from what we understand from the rest of the Bible, there will be a continuity. In the same way that Jesus' resurrection body had continuity with his uh, uh, the, the one that went into the grave, we understand that the new heavens and new earth will be things that we will recognize, but it will be perfected. Because there will be no more evil, no more sin. All the things that caused us heartache, heartbreak, sorrow, all that will be no more. And so because of that, uh, God can save us 18. We will be glad and rejoice forever in what He will create. Because He will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Now remember when we last heard of Jerusalem, as Isaiah was praying in uh, Isaiah 64, Jerusalem was in ruins, temple destroyed. It, it, it's, it's, you know, smoke and everything is, is broken down. But God's purpose is that he will create. And he focuses on one city because what's important is the people who will dwell there. And the people who dwell there will know only joy. And their joy will be ever increasing because all that causes sorrow sadness, pain will be no more. I mean, can you imagine a world where that is the situation, where there will be ever-increasing joy, where like, like, okay, what causes us sorrow? I mean, a lot of things cause us sorrow in this world, but uh, like even the simple things, like your colleague, you work with him, maybe you came into the company same time as him, and then he gets the promotion. And like, oh, even something as simple as that, it causes sorrow. But imagine a world where when your colleague gets a promotion, you go, yes, yes, you deserve it. And so that's why that's a world where there's this ever-increasing joy, ever-increasing delight. 
And obviously the main source of their joy and delight is because we dwell with God and we are in His presence and shielded from His glory and we will spend all eternity basking and reveling in the glory and the delights of the God who has made us and called us to be Himself. And not just us rejoicing. You see the picture here is of God rejoicing over His people. Now, some of uh, the church members went to the Project Timothy talks last week, uh, and you were surprised by that that phrase in Zephaniah, where God says, Oh, I delight in my people. Over them, I, I will sing for joy. And it's such a, a resting picture of God, that He should take such joy in His people. But this is a reality that God is determined to bring about. In this new heavens, new earth, not only will his people rejoice in God, God himself will rejoice and delight over his people. And then Isaiah continues the picture, verse 20, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not lift up his ears. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. And then, okay, then, hey, What's happening? The guy who dies at a hundred will be taught young, okay, but I thought we will live forever. So that means if I die at a hundred, I'm young, which means that I will still die, right? Okay, so that's one of the questions uh, regarding Isaiah's picture of the new heavens and new earth. Will there be death? Didn't we just say that because God is infinitely beautiful, infinitely worthy, we will have an eternity discovering the delights and the glories of God. So why, why does that seem like there, there will be death? And the answer, I think, is there will not be death. Okay, the other portraits of the new creation in Isaiah itself and definitely in the rest of the Bible make it clear there will be no death. Death is a result of sin. And so if sin is taken care of, then you can be assured that there will be no death. And then if, okay, if there's no death, then why is Isaiah speaking about, you know, infants, okay, they won't die, and old men, they will really live to a, a ripe old age. The reason he's doing it is because he is using realities that we can relate to. This side of heaven. Because this side of heaven, all we know is death. Death is such a such a reality that we, we cannot escape from. And one of the most sorrowful things, one of the most painful expressions of death is when an infant dies. Or when you realize a person has died prematurely, hasn't reached that right old age, you know, all that potential, all the things he could have achieved. So, so these two expressions that bring so much pain and sorrow because of the reality of death, Isaiah is saying it will be no more. It will be no more because death will be no more. We will have long, full, and joyful lives in the new creation. He continues, They will build houses, dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. 
or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Okay, this is talking about that reality we, we all experience. The frustration and sometimes we, we discover the futility of our work. We spend years, months, you know, thinking about a project, you know, listen to the best management consultants advice, and yet, you know, the business still goes south. You know, all this work put in and uh, the frustration, the futility of our hands. But in the new creation, there will not be that frustration. The, the picture of houses, and vineyards is Old Testament symbols of being blessed, being, being blessed by God, enjoying prosperity. No more that uh, curse of the fall, but lives of peace, of stability, and of permanence. And a promise that his people will long enjoy the work of their hands. So the reality of the new creation is that there will be work. And when we talked about this at the Bible study, uh, some people laughed. You know, the one who was studying uh, psychiatric mental health laughed because she said, oh, I'll be out of a job. Then she pointed to her boyfriend, the one who is studying to be a doctor, and said, oh, you'll be out of a job. Then they all laughed because they pointed to me, you'll be out of a job too. And yeah, because because the knowledge of the Lord will be filling the whole earth. Uh, you know, we won't, we won't need the Andrews, we won't need me to be, to be uh, teaching you all these things. So we'll be out of a job. So maybe I can pursue my second passion, maybe which is, you know, helping people get fitter. But then that again also will be a bit useless. But, you know, whatever it is, whatever the work of our hands will be uh, in the new creation, we will enjoy. We will enjoy the work that God gives us to do. And I mean, definitely, please don't look forward to uh, the new creation as, okay, basically a long lepak session. We just shake our legs, do nothing. Okay, because I can guarantee you that, ask any retiree, that is torture. But actually to be given work, joyful work, work that bears fruit, work that is not frustrating, is actually uh, one of the wonderful things about the new creation we can look forward to. Verse 23, we will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune for they will be a people blessed by the lord they and their descendants with them and as Isaiah continues before they call i will answer while they are still speaking i will hear you see what a wonderful picture what a wonderful way of communicating that relationship that communion that god's people will have with their god I mean, those of you who have been married for a few years will know this, especially when uh, you and your spouse have over the years developed a, a close relationship. You've gotten to really know each other. You know, there's those times when I go to the fridge, you know, I open it and then I, I, before I even ask the question, I'm just going, uh, I just make a sound only. Maria knows it's in the top right hand corner. Ah, okay, then it's there. So I don't even need to say, I just open the fridge and go, <clears throat> you know, make a sound and then she knows what I want already. And so here is that picture of a relationship with our God. Communion between God and His people that is so close that before we call, God answers. 
And while we are still speaking, God will hear. Because ultimately, what makes heaven, what makes the new creation great is that we will dwell with God, we will be His people, and there will be nothing keeping us from knowing Him more and more and more. The new creation will also be one that is marked by peace, one where the reversal of the curse has taken place. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and thus will be the serpent's food. See the serpent? The serpent, that joker that caused all the things in the first place. Okay, so right at the end, it is mentioned that, that this, this serpent that caused the fall, that caused Adam and Eve to sin, okay, this serpent will get his just desserts. All his rebellion and all the harm he tried to do against God, God's people, it will be finally undone. It will be finally undone. He will just eat dust and all the, 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 the results of the fall, the curse, all of that will be reversed, all of that will be lifted. And so the wolf and the lamb, you know, where once there was violence, you know, hostility, enmity, they will actually feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Instead of, you know, using its strength, you know, chasing after and, you know, <clears throat> biting into the, the, the bison, you will just eat straw. No bloodshed. But then, uh, if no bloodshed, does it mean we'll all have to be vegetarian? Does that mean we will not get to enjoy juicy, you know, well-cooked steak? Does it mean that? I don't know, but I hope not. Okay, but, but whatever it is, the point is, the point is, is peace. Okay, whatever we'll eat, okay, I mean, God will have that under control. And anyway, vegetables is really good. I mean, it's really good for you. So, um, eat, eat more of that. Uh, but I do hope, as I'm sure some of you, uh, that we will get to eat meat. But the point is, the point is, the last verse, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. All of God's promises, His purposes will be fulfilled. It is a great picture. And uh, the question is, do you hope for this? Is this part of your yearning? Is this part of your longing as we journey in this world that is so undone by sin, so much sorrow and pain because of sin? Do you long for this world where there will be no more sin, where your every thought, your every word, your every impulse will be sin-free? It seems a bit too good to be true. How can we know that this will indeed take place? Well, this brings us to uh, the first half of God's answer in Isaiah 65, where we ponder the question, who's in, who's out? Okay, if this is God's new world that he's going to make, this transformed world, who's going to be in, who's going to be out? Well, let's first look at who's going to be out. And remember, this is all part of God's answer to Isaiah's prayer. Who's going to be out? Okay, we see them dis- uh, described in verse 2. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imagination, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. Uh, 
Okay, so this is uh, talking about, in this case, the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation that God has he's continually sent prophets to. He's continually warned them through his servants. All day long, I mean, the picture is of God holding out his hands. Please come back, come back. Why would you want to worship those, those idols? Why don't you come, come back to me and know the true and living God? I mean, the, the picture of God pleading and treating his people. But what do they do? They turn. They pursue their own imagination. These are the people, verse 3, who continually provoke God. So quite clearly, the people who are out of this new creation are the people who choose to be out. The people who choose to run away from God. And some of the ways that they run away, see, they offer sacrifices in gardens. They burn incense on altars of bricks. That means they are not doing it on the, the legit altar. They, they make their own, they come up with their own uh, sacrifices and worship. And then verse 4, they even practice occult. Maybe what they learn from the pagan nations around them. They sit among the graves. They spend their nights keeping secret Virgil, who eat the flesh of pigs. Now the horror of what it means for a Jew to eat pigs, I think can be understood when the Roman Emperor Antiochus Epiphanes, when he conquered Jerusalem and when he took over the temple and you know as a way of saying my God is 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 more powerful than your God he sacrificed pigs at the temple altar so you you must understand uh, the Jews consider pigs dirty and from the sacrificed pigs on the altar he forced Jewish men to eat the flesh of those pigs and those Jews would rather die be killed than to actually eat the flesh of pigs. But here you have such such a such a such a blatant picture of, of God's people who have so turned away from him, following pagan practices that they are actually, you know, at the graveside, they are eating pigs. Uh, okay, now because before anyone gets confused, uh, with the coming of Jesus, okay, in uh, Mark Chapter 7, there is a very clear reference that because of the work Jesus has done, he has made all things clean. He has made all foods clean. Jesus declared that all foods are clean. So, okay, if you eat uh, sorrow later, okay, you can do it with a clean conscience, okay? Uh, we can eat pigs now, okay? But this is, this is the reference to the, the Jewish context. Okay, so uh, God continues. Uh, verse 5, these are the people who say, keep away. I mean, they actually say to God, keep away, don't come near me, for I'm too sacred for you. So these are people who actually choose to run away from God. They choose some idol, something else over and against God. And so God says, such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. There is this anger and wrath of God there's, there's uh, kindled. And verse 6, See, it stands written before me. I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. See, God is so determined that what these people have done in, in rebelling against Him, in turning away from Him, they should get what they deserve. That He is, as, as it were written, uh, a divine post-it note. 
so that he does not forget, you know, put it on the fridge, put it, put it, you know, in front of his, uh, computer there, so that everything he does, he remembers, he sees, ah, okay, okay, it's written before me, I will not forget. And the picture here is of a God who is so determined that wrath should be repaid. The recompense, the, the judgment that these people deserve, they will get it. Okay, the picture of these people who are out continue in verse 11. And you can see clearly they are out because they have chosen to be out. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain. You see, this is a clear picture of people who have turned away, who have committed apostasy. They deny God. They turn away. They forget uh, God's holiness, forget his law. And what do they do instead? They spread a table of fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny. And the picture here is, instead of trusting and believing in the God who is sovereign and in control and seeking his way, following his law, they turn and they, 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 they consult horoscopes instead. Okay, they want to find out, you know, from these pagan practices, okay, when, how many cows I should buy, when I should plant my crop so it can be, you know, the most fertile. I mean, they, they, they consult, they do all these pagan practices. And so there is a play on words there, which the NIV has captured. Because they fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, they try and find out, you know, uh, these superstitious practices, you know, what's the most, uh, the, the thing that can bring them the good fortune. They, because they do these things, God says, I will destine you for the sword. Because they try and find out their destiny with pagan practices, God says, I will destine you for the sword. You turn away, and this is a consequence. It's like you consult horoscopes, then I will horrify you with the judgment that you deserve. Because ultimately, God says, I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. So once again, the picture, very clear. The people who are out, who will not be part of God's new creation, are the people who have chosen to be out. So then the question is, who are the people who are in? Who are the people who are in? Who are the people who will be part of God's new creation? Look at verse 1. Verse 1 is a surprising answer. Remember, this is God's answer to Isaiah's prayer. Isaiah praying, God, don't hold back. Come down, save us. And God's answer, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. Okay, so a few things to um, be clear about. The nation that God is referring to, that he has revealed, is not Israel. Okay, it's, I think it's quite clear that he's referring to a Gentile nation. And in fact, he's talking about Gentile nations. Because the Gentiles, those who don't know God, have not sought God. Because they, they, God has revealed himself to Israel. Israel has been obstinate, turned away. 
But the people who have not known him, the people who don't know about God, they have not sought him. And so Isaiah is praying, God, God, you know, why are you silent? Will you, will you please come down? Will you do something? And God's answer in part is, even though it looks as if I have been silent, it seems as if I've been silent, but actually I am at work. I have been at work because the people that have not been seeking me, I have gone to them, I have revealed myself to them. You see, the, the, what I understand, what the Hebrew scholars tell me is when he says, I revealed myself, the, the sense is actually I allowed myself to be found. God permitted himself to be found by the people who were not even seeking him. So even though Isaiah is saying, oh God, look at our nation, you know, will you come and save? It seems that you're doing nothing. God's answer in part is, I have. I've been doing a lot. I have been, I have been furthering my purposes. I have been keeping my promises. And in part, my promise, my purpose has been to reveal myself to people who have not sought me. In other words, one of the most striking answers of God to Isaiah's prayer is grace. God is emphasizing grace. Grace. I mean, like, can, can, you, can you understand why, it is, why this emphasizes grace? Because the people are not even seeking Him. They don't even, like, you know, call to Him. They're not even looking for Him. And God in sovereign Grace reveals himself to them, allows himself to be found by them. And so the people who are in are the people who are in because of God's grace. You see clearly in uh, verse 9, where God says, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob. And from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. You see? So this is referring to the promise God made with Abraham. And he's taking, yes, yes, okay, the promise I made with them, uh, the descendants of Abraham, they will inherit. Okay, they will inherit this land. Okay, but we've already seen, right, that God's purpose, God's inheritance that he has prepared for uh, Abraham's descendants, is more than just that narrow strip of land we've seen in verse 17 to 25. It's a whole new heavens and a whole new earth, a transformed world that God has prepared. Not just some dirty, dusty, small, cramped strip of land that you know those people are fighting over, but, but it's a new creation that God has destined for his people to inherit. And who are those who inherit it? Verse 9. My, what's the word? Chosen people will inherit them and there my servants live. So once again, who are the people who are out? The people who are out are the people who have chosen to be out. They've run away from God. They've not, you know, followed His ways. They've, they've been obstinate. They have forsaken the Lord. But the people who are in are the people who are in because of God's grace. And because of God's grace, they are chosen. And because they are chosen, what is it that they do? They will, look at uh, verse 10, 
right at the end, for my people who seek me. So get the order right. Because of God's grace, they are chosen. And because they are chosen, they will seek God. Which is a very different picture to the people who are not seeking God, choosing to run away from God. The people who will inherit the new creation are the people, yes, they are chosen, but you can see that they are chosen because they are seeking God. Now, there's a contrast made between these who are out and those who are in, in verse 13. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. So these are covenant blessings, covenant curses. Those who enjoy the blessings, they will eat, they will drink. But those who face that judgment, they will go hungry. They will go thirsty. Verse 14, My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. See, for the people who are chosen by God, for the people who seek Him, and because they seek Him, they seek His ways, they seek to follow you know, what, what God has taught, there is this joy. Ultimately, there will be this joy because they are walking in the ways of the Lord. But for the people who turn away, who fall prey to the lies of sin, the deceitfulness of their, their corrupt hearts, they will ultimately face anguish of heart, will in brokenness of spirit. I mean, this is teaching us, like really, like whenever you face a choice, God's way, the world's way, okay, remember, that the world's way will never bring joy. It will always end bad. There might be like uh, a flicker, you know, a few moments, some short temporal experience of joy, but ultimately it will end badly. Do not fall for the lies of sin. It is those who seek God, follow His ways. That will be filled with joy. And now I want to say, because we live in a fallen world, our hearts are deceitful, our flesh is sinful, we will, we will at many times choose the wrong way. But can you see, if you are one who is chosen, then there will be this God-given ability to seek Him, to want to hear what this God is saying, seeking Him. And can you see, it, it is in that as we seek Him, as we expose ourselves to hearing His Word, wanting to be part of His people, so that, so that we are hearing Him, so that, you know, whatever ways we are going off, there's correction, that this is how God ultimately restrains us. That we will not be given over to that lifestyle and that sin that will totally spiral down such that it ends up in that total rejection, that total turning away from God such that we are out of the new creation. But for those who are chosen, we will seek. We will seek God. We will cry out to Him even in the midst of our failures, our sins. 
So I asked the question, how do we know? That picture of the new creation, how do we know? I mean, it sounds so good. How do we know that that is true, that that will happen? Well, one way of answering that is in God's answer, where his two characteristics so clearly put on view, the two characteristics of of his determined wrath, that those who reject him will face his wrath, that that this God is a God of justice, that wrath needs to be uh, executed, judgment needs to be executed. I mean, that is that, that clear picture of God in this passage. But equally, that this is a God of sovereign grace. To a people who were not even seeking him, he, he, he revealed himself. He allowed himself to be found. And how the New Testament teaches us these two aspects of God. I mean, it seems contradictory that God should desire to be so gracious and yet he is a God of such justice that he will repay But you see, these two aspects of God, His his grace and His wrath, they meet at the cross. Because it is at the cross of Jesus Christ that there we see God's wrath most clearly. That His determination for justice should be so great that even His people that He has chosen to save He cannot just close a blind eye to their sin. It needs to be paid for. Justice must be done. And so the Son of God, sinless, perfect, pays and extinguishes all of God's wrath for us. And that is the picture of grace. And because God has done this, payment for sin has been made, God can choose righteously to be gracious to the people who do not deserve it. He can come, work in them. To the people who are not even seeking Him, He can come, reveal Himself to them. To the people who are not even drawn to Him, He can come and draw him, draw them to Himself. And that is good news because we are the people. We are such people who do not seek God, who have no interest in God, no desire to be drawn to God. But if you are here with any desire, it is because God has drawn himself to you. You cannot choose God. He is the one who chooses. But we can confirm that choice. We can work out. We can live out the reality. Yes, 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 yes. I think God has chosen me. We can live out the reality by seeking God. We can live out the reality by bearing in mind the great warning that those who are out are those who have chosen to turn away from God. We can heed that warning at every moment of every day of our lives. Confirm that calling, seeking God, and by His grace not turning from Him. And we can have great confidence that what God has prepared as the inheritance for His people will come about. Because Jesus has died, and when He rose again, that resurrection life is that deposit, that guarantee that the new creation has been done and it will be consummated. May God help us. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.